Welcome to New Jersey Tech Meetup, the podcast. Each episode, we bring you a huge amount of value from past keynotes at our events, fireside chats, and much, much more. Tune in to hear from entrepreneurs such as Gary Vaynerchuk, James Altucher, and your host, Aaron Price. We hope you enjoyed today's episode, and we can't wait to share more episodes with you in the future. Can you tell me what you think makes a, uh, a good entrepreneur? Oh, okay. Well, there's... The qualities of an entrepreneur. Yeah, the qualities of an entrepreneur. Well, so, somebody, well somebody who's got a lot of integrity to begin with. Uh, you're going to go through a, a lot of twists and turns and um, challenges and uh, you know, uh, kind of, you know, missteps and whatever. And if you don't have a lot of integrity um, and um, a lot of steadfastness, you're not going to be able to be a good entrepreneur. You have to be, and I think you know everyone says that you have, you've got to be passionate. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about this later. But it, it's passion by itself is it, it's not enough. You have to have decided that you're going to dedicate your life, or at least in the foreseeable future, to what really amounts to a cause, uh, and that you're going to defend that cause no matter what comes your way. Uh, so you're going to plow through uh, obstacles. You're going to change course, you're going to do this, you're going to do that, just simply because you have one objective in mind, which is, uh, you know, to uh, fulfill that expectation that you have that you're going to change the world through what you're doing. What was your first entrepreneurial endeavor? My, my first entrepreneurial endeavor was actually to launch uh, the first computer magazine in Brazil. Um, and that How'd was, that go? Um, it, it, it went badly and it went well, and it, this is kind of typical of, of, of all endeavors, how they work out. Um, I launched the, uh, Brazil's first computer magazine in 1973 or 4, whatever. Uh, so now you can see that I'm, I'm really... When you were four years old. I'm, I'm really <laughs> aging myself. <laughs> um, and it was during a period, well, first of all, the reason why I launched it is because they, they started to be in a tremendous amount of, of, of um, you know, importance or, or uh, following about computers uh, it, in the 70s, way before PCs. So we were talking about, you know, the mini computer revolution that suddenly a lot more enterprises, a lot more people had access to IT or sure. information technology. Brazil in those days was run by a military dictatorship, a junta. Uh, and uh, I launched a magazine very successful, very quickly, because all data general, deck, all these people wanted to advertise. Um, and it, served, it was the only one serving the IT community in Brazil. Um, and then, a few months into it, the military government decided that uh, computers and IT technology was going to be a matter of, of national security, and that they only wanted Brazilian companies to make computers, and that everything had to be localized. So f literally, from one day to another, um, everything dried up. All my advertisers uh, wow. abandoned me, and then I had investors who uh, were, you know, uh, very interested and continued to be very interested, but they couldn't see continue to fund the business. Uh, so, so that was the bad part. The the lucky part is that I had been approached by an American company, IDG, which was uh, um, in those days the largest publisher of computer newspapers and magazines in the world. Computer World and IDC and brands like that, who had showed interest in Brazil, and I managed to sell them the business. And I, co I continued with them, and we built, 
uh, a whole ser a whole network of computer magazines, computer trade shows throughout Latin America very successfully as a result of that. So out of this kind of bad moment came a really good thing, sure. which is that I was able to have the resources uh, to build something that turned out to be much bigger. Do you think you would have looked to sell that business had the political climate, economic climate, not changed the way it had? Pro probably later on. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I was kind of first-time entrepreneur. Uh, we were doing it on a shoestring. Clearly, it, it, it required uh, more resources. And eventually, I would have sold it. I don't know if I would have sold it to an American company. I could have sold it to a Brazilian yeah. um, venture or Brazilian magazine publisher or media company. and. Who knows? Changed your whole thing. Yeah, it was exactly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's the, the, the butterfly in China that changes your, <laughs> right. your destiny. Right. <laughs> it wouldn't be here today, possibly. Possibly. So exactly. when do you think, you know, this is something that people, sort of the four-letter word in entrepreneurship is, is when to quit. And uh, do you have any insight on when an entrepreneur, I mean, I'm someone who, you know, I focus on the end game, but I know that you hit a lot of bumps along, bumps along the, the road on the way. Do you have any... Uh, anecdotes of when you see uh, when entrepreneurs maybe go too long or you know what's a milestone that's perhaps the time to say it's it's time to call it quits I, I think it's time I you know calling it quits is a I, I don't see too many people calling it quits I see people adapting and changing and sometimes reluctantly um, often because they see that things are going to go in, in a different fashion uh, so, absolutely calling it quits, I really don't see that, that too, too often, particularly after they've taken money from investors. Once you've taken money from investors, you have a, a responsibility. Uh, and it doesn't matter what happens in your, if you get disappointed, what happens in your personal life, your wife might say, hey, it's about time you came home with some sort of a salary, those kinds of things. Fact is, you've taken money from. That's what you signed up from, for. You've signed up for it, and you've got to, you know, see through it. What what we do see is founders who uh, don't realize at times that um, that it requires a different kind of management. That once the company once the company grows, um, maybe it is time to bring on an, a CEO, or maybe maybe you as a founder are better suited to be head of technology or. Um, you know, head of business development, uh, but it's very, very difficult for obvious reasons for founders to come to that realization. Um, and often, when it's when it's necessary, they're being prodded by their board uh, or, or by their investors, and sometimes they wait too long, and that could, that can have uh, hard effects on disastrous effects on the company. Sure. So, can you share any experiences, perhaps you know, as CEO of the Huffington Post? Of times of failure, of, of missteps along the way, because I find that there's a lot of, um, of of lessons and insight in failure. And can, do you have any any anecdotes of things that you could share of times when things didn't go as planned and how you adapted? Well, you know, at the Huffington Post, we were um, in constant development mode. So, um, what really worked for us, and I think is is something that I would recommend to everybody, is you know, don't look at your product literally on a daily basis. Um, in our case, we were looking at our product on a minute-by-minute -minute basis because our technology allowed us to um, measure the engagement that our users had with the content um, literally real in real time. And as a result, if a story didn't work or if we did something that didn't work, we would immediately correct it and or say, uh, well, maybe we should do it this way, not that way. So, 
it so I as a result we, we really didn't have too many kind of failures uh, we, we were testing by the time we sold the business we were testing local editions uh, so it's it's um, you know, like it, patch a little bit like patch but ours were a, a little bit more metropolitan so we had cities sure you know, New York Denver Chicago so we we had four tests going on we had two big cities New York LA two co two different coasts and then we had kind of two smaller cities or smaller cities Chicago and Denver uh, just to try to understand you know the different um, effects of work you know, some had big newspapers in place others didn't etc so uh, by the time we sold the business, we had not expanded on, you know, we started those four and we had not expanded because we hadn't found kind of the, the, the magic formula. We hadn't found the, you know, the right path uh, towards making it into a business. It's one thing to sell national advertising and it's a completely different thing to sell, um, you know, local, uh, let alone hyper-local, which people are trying. Um, and. No, the fact is, it's true that there's a huge amount of business with you know local merchants and what Groupon is doing is really kind of picking up on local advertising. Right. Uh, but we hadn't found the formula, so that in a way that was kind of a, of a failure. But we weren't about to give up. Sure. Right. There must have been, must have been times throughout your career, whether at Huffington Post or, or otherwise, where you look back and say, maybe that was a mistake. Maybe that was something I could have done differently. Um, something that kept you up at night. You know, what are times? I understand. I mean, I think that the the best traits of an entrepreneur are learning from those things and adapting. Which it sounds like clearly the things that you have been doing. Um, but can you share any specific stories of times when you know a decision went a way you didn't expect, or maybe a partnership agreement didn't work out the way you thought it would, and how you, you know how you had to overcome what you expected? Well, to yeah. But in my career, I've invested in companies that have failed. And you know, it's always regretful. Right. <laughs> uh, Those are really other people. I mean, obviously, you made the decision to invest, but I'm th I'm looking for, you know, something that you've been more in control of. Well, you know, also when when you're launching products. So you know, at Zip Davis, we we're constantly launching new magazines or new trade shows or conferences. Or, um, and sure, I mean, there were times where you were absolutely certain that this particular idea was going to work. And you committed twenty million dollars to to the project, or in, in, or maybe the the one that actually was the, the biggest one was TV. Sure. Right. We we launched a, a cable network called ZDTV, um, and had it's one of these where if if you knew at the time that everything that you learned along the way, you would never do it. Which of course, <laughs> that, is well, and then of course most entrepreneurs would never get going, right? right? Because <laughs> <laughs> if you know what you're in for, you might get a steady job. That's right. But the TV business is is particularly difficult, and particularly in those days, it was kind of at the end of the analog channels, the beginning of the digital channels. The the networks, or the cable operators, didn't really want to carry you on their analog, but that was really the only way you could get penetration. So it got very, very complex and very complicated. And it was very expensive. You had to build facilities, you had to build a studio. We built a studio in San Francisco. You know, we, we ended up spending about $100 million, which, you know, for us was a, and I, I had to sell that idea to my board. Um, and then I had to say, you know, at first I think well, the project was 50, and then I had to say we need another whatever. And eventually we ended up with 100. Um, and so those are, I, I remember going to the board meetings and having to justify all this and, and kind of promising that it's going to work somehow. 
because if you're not if the CEO is not convinced, then you can't. Yeah. Why? Why? Who else, yeah. How are you going to sell that, right? If you don't own it. Um, well. You know, again, we got lucky. We were able to sell the the, the business to, uh, to to somebody else. Um, uh, we recouped our investment. Uh, it wasn't the success that we expected, but at least we recouped our investment. But there was no certainty that that was that even that was going to happen. Sure. Sure. So that kept me up at night for <laughs> many months. Um, I mean, uh, last question. Um, so what, two questions actually. First is the current investing environment. Have you found that, um, especially in early stage, early stage seed or, or Series A investments, that it's quite competitive and that even during the course of negotiations, uh, valuations will change? And if so, is that something that, that would turn you off as an, as an investor or do you just see it as a sign of a potential hot investment? Well, I, you have to take it case by case, you know, clearly. And clearly today's environment is one where it's, um, it's a little bit overheated, uh, particularly when it comes to valuations. And so as an investor, you have to maintain discipline. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to be on the sidelines. But clearly, we're investing today at valuations which are higher than they were just a year ago. Um, but we are passing, I, would, I have to say, today we're passing on more uh, investment opportunities because of valuation than pretty much anywhere, anytime in the past few years. So that at some point, discipline has to kick in. Look, the fact is that despite these, these, these high valuations, the M&A market hasn't really moved in terms of price. Now, you, you, yes, we've had a few IPOs recently that have been... High profile. Yeah, multi-billion dollars, and, and hopefully deservedly so. Uh, but, it, but, but it's only a few. It's less than a handful. And yes, there are other IPOs in the pipeline that are highly promising, probably the, the best one being Facebook. Uh, but again, you're not talking about a, a huge number of companies. So the great majority of exits will continue to be uh, through acquisitions. And if you look at the M&A market, the fact is that if you have a successful company, so binary, you're, you're successful, you're not successful, right? So forget all the companies, which is probably the majority, that will never <coughs> succeed. Yep. So if you have a successful company, after a few years of hard work and um, spending you know, evenings uh, awake at night, uh, you, you'll sell your business very likely for somewhere between 50 and $100 million. So that's, that's a fact. There, and it doesn't matter, it's across pretty much all technology sectors. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the companies that sell for $100 million above, we at the Post sold for $315 million. Uh, we were by far an exception, an outlier. That's, not what's going to happen to most people. M many more 10 to $30 million deals or yes. 20 to 50s. Right. Yeah. So $80 million you know, is a good price, 50 is a good price. So you can then work backwards. And if you start, if you, if you have a seed round that's in the high single digits, and if you have an A round that's in the high teens or low 20s, uh, it doesn't leave much room for error. Uh, and VCs take high risks, and they deserve, when successful, they deserve, uh, you know, a high return, right. because that has to make up for all of the failures. <coughs> yep. Right. One has to carry eight. Yeah. So at some point, the the math has to come into play, and when we do walk away, uh, somewhat reluctantly, perhaps, and and then I can also point to m moments where 
we have walked away and the company has sold for $300 million, whatever, and we, we should have invested. But can't you win have, them all. yeah, you can't win them all. Right. You lose a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to have a point of view. Sure. Sure. We'll back to your disciplined investor approach. And, and, you know, and the fact is that what turns us off is when the entrepreneur sees valuation as the primary driver as opposed to forming a syndicate of investors who are truly going to be helpful to the company. Yeah. So if that's the primary driver for the entrepreneur, that will turn us off for sure. 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 Because we don't believe that that entrepreneur is thinking the right way. It's hard to build a business. It takes a village. Um, you need to surround yourself with really high quality people, not only people. And, you know, and, then, and we saw this in the, in the crash of 2000, right? The, the, the last money in, which was not the professional money, that's, it was money coming from mutual funds or big banks. That, that's the money that was driving these super high valuations. That money was the first money to leave when things got tough. Uh, so you know, they're not the ones who, who... Take the big risks. Yeah. yeah, and they're not the ones who, who kept going, supporting. They didn't put more money in to support the entrepreneur. They just simply wrote it off and walked away. Right. So for the entrepreneur, that's not a good thing to happen either. Well, I was going to ask you what your best advice for a startup entrepreneur was, but I think you said two things, which is surround yourself by smart people and it takes a village. Anything else you'd add to that? Um, uh, you know, the, the yeah, no, uh, yes and no. I mean, you know, surrounding yourself, surrounding yourself with great people is is essential. Um, find great co-founders um, and. Uh, you know, a lot of companies have great ideas, but the technology is not fundamental to the, to the business, and it should be fundamental to the business. Because ultimately, what's driving value in what all of us do here is that technology, software, is, is changing the world. Yeah. And um, um, so we see too many entrepreneurs who are, you know, have a great background, very expert, in what they do, uh, but do not uh, consider uh, technology to be as important as it should be. All right. Well, thanks a lot for sitting down with us. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. We hope you enjoyed the episode today. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out on our future episodes. From the team at New Jersey Tech Meetup, we hope you're having a great day, and we look forward to spending more time with you in the future. 